Welcome to A Working Title, a podcast that offers a unique perspective on the various paths to success. We dive into the stories and experiences of those who are in the thick of it, those who are navigating the early stages of their journey. These are the voices that often go unheard, yet they offer valuable insight and lessons for us all. We believe that everyone's journey is deserved to be shared and worth celebrating, no matter how big or small the steps taken may be. Whether it's a career move, a business venture, or even a major life decision, we explore the highs and the lows of those who are taking the bold leaps of faith. Join us as we gather honest and authentic conversations that offer a glimpse into the hopes, fears, and dreams of those who are hoping to make their mark into the world. Success is never guaranteed, but the journey itself is always worth the ride. In terms of being scouted for the first time, Mm -hmm. could you just quickly run through when that was and how that sort of interaction first came about? Okay, so... Yeah, when I first got scouted, I it's kind of th- something I never really imagined that would I'd be the type of person for, especially when I'm like a 15-year-old and like spotty and just like not really like f- feeling that like good about myself. And then I, yeah, basically, I, I there was a couple a couple guys in my the older years at school that were doing it, and I was thinking, fuck, like these guys can do it. Um, I was like, oh, like unusual looks, and don't know, mate. I never really considered myself as the first someone that could be scouted, and then. Yeah, it was this this day when back in when I was fifteen, so a long time ago, um, like I was going to see Charles Gambino like at this at concert, and I'd gone to see him previously, but I, when I'd booked the tickets, I, I'd only got seating tickets, and I was gutted, you know, because I re- he's like my favorite artist. I really wanted to go see him yeah, properly, you know. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as he came again for his second tour, and um, then I had to go get like proper standing tickets, front row. So I did the like got there early, did the proper queue. You know, when back in the days when you'd turn up like a couple hours early so you could get front row spots like um, for the show. And then, yeah, I was just kind of like in the queue, in the queue. Just as I was about to go in, this guy come up to me, um, a model scout from Elite London, um, which is a quite big, um, big agency. And, and yeah, he handed me his card. He was like, hey, like, uh, I really think you've got a good look. You have good potential. He was like, um, here's my card. He was like, get in contact if, it, if like modeling something that you would, you know, like to, or you could see yourself doing. Um, so then, yeah, like I kind of, that was sort of took me back a little bit. And I was like, okay, wow, I didn't really know what to think about it. And then I contacted him the next week. And that's kind of where the process of like getting into this, the, my career started really, yeah. What, was there any pre-thought before that point about what you wanted to do with the rest of your life? I, I mean, I appreciate you were 15 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, no one ultimately has an idea, but did you have any like inklings, like anything that you're already thinking, okay, this is something I want to at least look into? I think like... Um, Modeling was definitely not something I'd ever really considered. Um, I think it was, I was always very sort of focused on becoming a musician. Like I've always been into music from a young age. So that was always my drive. And that was what I've always sort of seen myself like, you know, in in 10 years time, I'll be performing and and, uh, where I'd be. Like that was where I always saw myself. So I was kind of in the process of like trying to figure out how I was going to get that. And I'd been, I was at secondary school then and I was studying music um, for my A-levels and um, like music technology. So I was kind of already starting that process, but I think modeling is one of the things that I didn't really know too much about. I didn't know too many people that were in the, in, in the industry at that time. Um, but then, yeah, when you get that kind of first, like someone sort of realizes there's potentially some like, yeah, yeah, you have, you have a good look and it could be something you do. It kind of is, is a bit exciting. But at first, when I first got that, the, the model card, I didn't realize that, you know, this is, 
this is something that I would then go on to do for the next 10 years and still be doing it at like really to a good level now. But it was, um, yeah, it was, I think the, the process went from that, that time of that Childish Gambino um, concert, it, I didn't get scouted, I didn't get signed straight away. So I would go in for meetings with Elite London um, and they would basically just say to me, hey, like we, yeah, we really like you, but you know, I think come back in three months, you know, lose a bit of weight, you know, sort your skin out a little bit, you know, the, you, you know, you need to grow up a little bit more before we can take you on, you know, they would, it'd be this. And I, I, and over the sort of process of, a, over the time, a time um, of a year, it took me to actually get signed. I would keep going back to Elite London and they kept giving me the same spiel, you know? Um, and I actually got to a point where I, I kind of, the more they said no, the more I was like, fuck, I want to work on this and, and actually get, and, and actually like go for this, you know? I, um, I applied to be in this um, model competition as well during the, the time when I was 15 to turning 16 with Elite London. They run this, they used to, I don't know if they still do it now, but they used to run this um, model of the year competition, you know? Um, to be honest, I don't really remember even like going in for it, but I'm guessing maybe because I was like part of their like scouting network, they'd maybe just put me forward for it. Um, and the the final prize basically was like a signed model contract and you would go over to the, that year, it was going over to Japan to do a super dry campaign. You were going to be the main face, you know? So for a 16 year old starting off and that being your first campaign would have been a real big like kickstart into the industry. Um, and then like one day I was just like, I don't know, I was in the park with my friend and I get an email for it and it was like, oh, congratulations, you're in the, um, you're, you're in the semifinals for this. And I was like, wow, okay, okay, wow. And then went to the day of the semifinals and basically had this whole situation, like whole day where in a room of like 50 guys and over the course of the day, they're just whittling it down to the final two people that would go on to, you know, be the finalists, you know? Um, and yeah, got down, got down. I was down to like the last 15 and then they called my name and they sent me home, you know? And it was my, it was actually the model scout that had first scouted me who called my name and sent me home. And I was like, okay, wow. That was like, I was so close, but yet so far. And at this point, I've still not signed a contract. And, but I've been for the last year going into these meetings, working on myself, working out, trying to get my skin better, you know, all, all everything. Um, and then that's when I started reaching out myself to model agencies going, look, I clearly have, I have, they, they see something in me. They put me forward to this, uh, they put me forward to the, the competition and, they're obviously still in contact with me, but that's when I thought, okay, all right, I'm going to start reaching out to other agencies and see if anyone else would want to sign me. And that's when I reached out to multiple agencies and eventually signed with BMA. That was my first agency, but just a sort of mid, like when I'm midway through 16, 17, yeah. that's when I signed. How did it feel being told when you were 15, 16 years old, like you effectively need to improve the way that you look? Was that, because I mean, I'd imagine that's, possibly quite difficult to handle particularly at a young age yeah I would I would yeah I would agree it wasn't it's not the nicest thing to hear um but I understood the requirements to get where I needed to be and I think that was more of it it, it wasn't it wasn't something I took personally or felt yeah I didn't take on like yeah I didn't yeah it didn't affect me too much but I've always been quite a self-conscious person always even before like modeling and it's weird to think that how self-conscious I am that actually my job requires me to be judged by people, you know, all the time. But um, I also very much have always like strived for, perf perf for perfection. And that's always been something that I've done, whether that's been healthy or unhealthy, I don't know, but- um, Can relate to that. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, you know, I was like, okay, someone's telling me this and it's almost like I'd prefer someone to tell me and I can go, okay, cool, this is what I need to do to improve in, in my sense of improvement. And 
yeah, that was kind of, it gave me more of a drive. As much as it was like not amazing to hear, but it gave me a drive to go, okay, cool. I can, I can work on this. Like, so that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that that kind of little taste, someone basically saying, oh, this is a reality that could happen. Yeah. I.e. someone coming up to you, it almost maybe gives you the confidence to think, oh yeah, I've got some validation from someone that knows what they're talking about. And then yeah, plants a seed. And then it sounds like you kind of like watered that over the next year, went for it. And then ultimately, yeah, had some success, which yeah. is amazing. What you, so you signed with your first yeah. uh, agency. What was that feeling like at the time? Did you feel like accomplished or was it like this was just the beginning and you're ready to go again? I think um, I think it's a bit of both. Definitely I was happy because I felt like that last year of, you know, working on myself and then going into that meeting to think, okay, maybe they're going to sign me on and, and never actually get that contract from Elite London. Um, I think like it, it definitely made me hungry but frustrated. So actually having a full signed contract, I could tell people that this is my job and also to start going out to castings and you know, booking your first job, like that was, they were good feelings, you know, and I, but I knew that there's a lot to learn, you know, like the industry is like, yeah, you, you, you've got so much to learn, you know, and like really experience is what can keep you going in this. And I, I, re I realized that's what I needed to do and just get myself stuck in with it. And yeah, they were a good first agency to be, to be with. And they taught me a lot of things about the industry, but yeah, I definitely outgrew them quite quickly. So yeah. Did you have any role models or like any guidance during that period because you're still young right you're how old 18 at the time yeah um, i would have been just coming to 18 yeah yeah so did did anyone kind of like hold your hand through the process or were you, was it all you to be honest it was all me especially in terms of the modeling yeah for sure i had like i i didn't yeah like even just like my parents didn't really even understand what was going on like they kind of understood the the idea of what the job was but they didn't really understand sort of where it could take me and how much it could like you know finance like my like dreams and where else I would want to go um but yeah it's all kind of just this new realm that no one really knew about and to be honest there's not really a right way of getting to any sort of success in it you know so I I think it was a lot of just like rolling with the punches seeing what happens and uh yeah just that that's just that's all I could really do it was just a bit like yeah aimlessly in some sense but yeah, yeah. if you could go back to yourself at that age and say right one piece of advice here you go what it what would it be Oh, that's a good question. I'll probably tell myself to just chill out and to stop worrying so much because I've always been such a warrior and like that things were always going to be okay because I would I would worry about that. And I know that you said earlier about hearing that, um, you know, that you need to go work on yourself, slim down and sort out your skin, you know. These were still things I was having like conversations with from with my agency, you know, that, that stuff doesn't slow to, like really ever stop. And like, I think I, you know, I always had that feeling that I wasn't good enough, you know what I mean? Like, and I would, it's especially this type of job where you compare yourself to a lot of other people, you know? So um, I always found that difficult, but like I said before, it kind of just like made me a bit more hungry to to really go at it and, and, and like prove to myself that I'm worthy enough to get the, you know, big jobs and become successful in the, in the industry. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, what, what were you worrying about at that point? You say, you tell yourself not to worry. Was, that, was there anything specifically or is it just, being able to be successful as a, as a model? I think, uh, yeah, definitely to, to be successful as a model, but also just to like, there's always that kind of over, that that feeling that, um, that overwhelming, overwhelming feeling that this could end at any point and it also could not go anywhere, you know? That was kind of thing I would worry about a lot, you know, that, yeah, I might have just been, might have a job this week, but I might never get a job again, you know? And like, 
I'm at the point now after doing it for so long that even though that's still very, it's a very, that's, that is a reality. However, I just trust the process that I know that, okay, maybe this week's quiet, but next week's going to be busy, you know? And like, that's all you can do, you know? And, and try not to look so far ahead in the future. And I think that's where I've, that's one thing that I've been really trying to, yeah, do a lot more. Yeah, I need to listen to myself a lot more when I think that because looking too far ahead in the future never helps. Yeah, interesting. What was the the first job that you had where you really thought to yourself, right, okay, this is it, like I've, I've made it? Um, I can tell you, I, I remember the first job that I did and then it was a big job. It was for, um, it was for Foot Locker. Um, I was shooting a campaign for the Stan Smiths, the Adidas, it was the Adidas Foot Locker campaign. And it was just me for that day. And it was the first time that I traveled out of London for a job. Went up to Manchester for the, the night before, stayed in a hotel. That was all very new to me. Didn't even know that the, you know, the job was taking me away. I was getting a hotel paid for for me. And I was getting paid like a grand and a half for the day, you know? When you're 18 years old, like that's a lot of money, you know? It's a lot of money. And I was like, wow, like these are, this is just a small portion of what is out there and the jobs that are, that are available. And, and I was like, wow, that it felt good, you know? And, and also just seeing yourself being in front of the camera and then also going back behind the camera to see what they're shooting and, and, and then the final result a few months when it comes out in, I don't know, however long it came out, a couple months later or whatever. Um, and then I think it was the, also the feeling of going into the shops and going into Foot Locker and seeing myself up there and thinking, okay, cool, this is cool. I love that feeling, you know, to see the full process. And yeah, that felt for me, I was like, wow this, that was cool like I want to do that again you know yeah I was gonna say that must have been a full circle moment where you kind of go in and you see yourself on something I think that's yeah. the classic one isn't it yeah and yeah, it's yeah. yeah it's like wow the things that I actually do the career I'm leading etc like is having a physical impact on the world yeah, yeah which yeah. I think is fucking cool yeah um awesome so at this age you've signed with the the new agency mm-hmm. how did the next following years look for you in terms of that? I mean, you say that you outgrew the agency quite quickly. Yeah. What did that look like in terms of, yeah, the the reality of it? Okay, so basically like um, my first agency, BMA, they were kind of quite commercial and they, the clients they had weren't, I needed new clients. I needed, um, yeah, I wanted to grow, you know, and, and get bigger jobs and um, a lot of, you know, the other agencies in London, some of the bigger ones, they had, um, they just have the better clientele they have the better relationships with these big brands companies directors everything um and at the time so i've been to i've been with bma probably for about a year and a half um and the way the contracts work is that usually for for a year you've got to get through the first year you can't move can't leave um unless they terminate the contract but as a model you have to stay on for a year and then after that it kind of becomes like a rolling contract you know and then, but after that, you can kind of leave when, when you needed to be. But after about a year, I started getting messages, emails. I was getting scouted a lot more as well on the streets and people just saying, hey, like I work for, you know, Storm. I work for Super, like some of the big agencies at the time. And I was like, okay, wow, like the, some of the big agencies in London right now, they really want to sign me, you know? So after about a year and a half of BMA, I started having some conversations with, um, you know, I went going to see other agencies and seeing, um, what they had to what they had to say and i got offered a contract with um storm at the time and storm were probably the i would probably say the biggest agency at that time and that felt for me i was just sort of just turned yeah just just turned 18 going on to 19 and i was like thinking wow this is okay i've been at a small agency here's the time for me to go real big then actually it all didn't really go to plan which is quite sad um 
this guy took me on there, um, this agent who took me on there. Uh, I went in, signed the contract, everything was going really good. And then signed, as soon as I signed the contract, I didn't hear anything from the, from the agency for two months. I mean, I was emailing, I wasn't getting any replies. I was talking to my booker, this guy at the time, um, and he wasn't even getting back to me at all. It was really weird. It took me to a point where I was like, okay, two months in, I've signed this contract. It's all in writing, like I'm a, I'm a model at Storm. And it wasn't even getting any replies and nothing. So I went into the agency and then um, I met one of the other um, men's bookers, this lady there. And she went on to explain to me that this guy who had taken me on, this booker, he had signed me. And then a week later, he had left the agency. And within their, in, and in their contracts as bookers, as agents, when they move on, they can't, can't talk to any of the models from their previous agency for three months or something like that. That's a way to, they can't like poach and take other models on, you know? But obviously for, for me, a young guy who's like really needs to be developed, like especially when you're like a new face at an agency, I was a bit like gutted, you know? Like no one's taking me on. And I actually ended up having this conversation with this, this lady there and then at, when I went into the agency, it's being like, oh, so, what's, what, so what for me now? Like, what do I do? She was like, I'm gonna be honest with you. Now he's left. I don't think we're gonna have time for you. She was like, it might be better for you to look up, look for another agency because um, they might have a bit more time for you. Because right now, I, I don't think we have enough, yeah, people here to develop you properly. So I've made this big move, thinking that oh my god, this is gonna be the best best thing for my career. Suddenly, I feel like I'm back at square one. Like, not not really. I'm even I'm signed at the biggest agency. I'm, they're not even replying to me, and they're not gonna get me jobs. So that was very gutting. And then. Um, but I'd met a girl previously at my um, my last agency, BMA, and she had moved on to another agency called Lenny's. And I spoke to her, I said, hey, how's your agency? She said, oh, it's really good. She was like, oh, you should come in and have a conversation with them. So I went in a couple of days later to go and meet Lenny's and they had just opened a men's board because usually they were just a female agency, but they had just recently opened a men's board. And I went in there and I explained the situation, what was going on and the clients that I'd worked with and what I wanted out of this career. And then yeah, got a contract with them. So it was kind of up, down. Lenny's was small at the time, but then the good thing when you're a young, when you're you know new in the industry, uh, a new face at an agency, when there's a smaller number of bookers, they're, they're definitely gonna give you, a, you're gonna have the more personal relationship with them and they give you a lot more time. So they put the time in that was necessary for me to develop. And yeah, ended up staying with them for three and a half years until eventually I felt like I outgrew them again, you know? I was really good for them. I went from being a new face to being their main man, you know, and I was like their top earner and that was a good feeling. But there were certain things with the agency that I wasn't enjoying, certain ways of how it was run and, and also just like money was coming in slow or getting lost. There's other things that we won't get into, but um, yeah, had a bit of time off over COVID and then eventually I was like, okay, I need to move. I'm, I'm like 22, 23 now at this point, just after the end of COVID. And I was thinking, okay, I need to do one more move. And this next move is gonna be to my last agency is the way I'm looking at it because I wanna get into one of the big agencies and just and just be there. And then, yeah, I did like, I took some time off over COVID because that didn't, wasn't the right time to sign a contract during there and not feel like there is enough work going on. But I was going around, met, met all the agencies, seeing what they had to offer me. Um, because at this point I was so experienced, I knew exactly I could go in there and tell them what I wanted, you know? They all offered me contracts, so it was kind of for me to pick and choose. But the only agency I couldn't really get a meeting with was IMG. Um, and I happened to be freelancing at Fred Perry at the time, just, um, yeah, just was doing a bit of work with them. And then um, 
yeah, the producer there was best friends with the booker at IMG. She was like, hey, you got to meet this guy. He's really good. Like, I think you, you guys will really get on. Had a meeting with them finally. And then as soon as they offered me a contract, I was like, yeah, this is the place I need to be. You know, they have such a big name. I love the how they're so worldwide and they're very, yeah, yeah they're just, they're just very, everything's just straightforward with them, you know, and they're, they're the best clients in the world. So, yeah, it's, it begs the question, doesn't it? What's better? Is it better to have, you know, go to a smaller agency, have that more like personal connection, people that truly know who you are, I guess, be that bigger fish in a smaller pond, maybe. Or is it better to, you know, try your hand at a storm, et cetera, or one of the larger clients? Looking back on it, is there a favorite for you? Or do you think it's completely sort of personal and individual? I think um, I think it really depends on where you are in your career. Um, I'm lucky to go on. IMG wouldn't have taken me on if I didn't already have very good relationships with clients and regular clients that were going to book me. So I could go to them and be like, look, you sign me now. I'll be working immediately in the next few weeks. And that is what has happened. Um, but for different people at different stages in their career, going going into a big agency, very e easy to just get lost because they have so many names on the boards, some really famous names and people that are working a lot better than you. It's very easy to just get lost amongst that. And I think even though that losing that contract at Storm, maybe it was the best thing for me because it then going back to Lenny's and having this personal relationship, I really sort of grew a name for myself there. And they really, they were really good with me, they, but they helped me build my clientele and and having the relationships that now I do with a lot of brands, and which then eventually got me to this point that I could go and have a pick and choose of whatever agency I wanted to be at. Yeah, what did that help look like from Lenny's? I was it sort of like I guess personal coaching about how to you know treat clients, communication, etc. Was it more just like general like opening doors for you, etc.? I think it's more general opening doors. Um, in my three and a half years there, I probably went through four men's bookers. So you build different relationships with each of them. Um, and there was definitely some bookers that were better than others. Um, but yeah, it was like having a really good personal relationship with your booker is always good because they're going to keep, you're going to be in the front of their mind. So when there's a new client and they're looking for a job, they're looking for a model for a job, they're going to put my name first. And that was kind of what was happening. And, and then as soon as, and this is one thing I've always said, and this is why I said to IMG when they had my meeting, I said, look, if you get me in the room, and you put me in front of them, I will get that job for you, you know? But I just need you to get me in the room. And that is why I said to them, and they they were like, okay, I like that hunger, that's what, that's what we needed to hear. So, and that, I think that's what Lenny's did. They opened doors for me, and then yeah, I managed to sort of get booked and then get rebooked. And that's the important thing, because I think a lot of people don't think that having regular clients is how you, you can have longevity in this career, you know? Building them relationships, getting rebooked is the secret to it, you know? It's not just booking them one jobs here, one job there. You wanna be having relationships with brands, knowing that you're you're going on to a job and you want to make sure whoever's the person who's booking them become their best friend that day you know because it will help you out in the long run for sure what do you do to cultivate those relationships with bookers and clients i think it's just being quite it's a hard there's, a, there's no secret to it in in some ways i think it's just uh being a very sort of um open person and remembering people's like life as well if you've worked with someone before like you see them again it's always good to think okay cool like oh yeah you remember you were doing this or remember you doing that and have have a more personal relationship instead of it being just work focused um but just being also being quite self-aware as well i think is very important and understanding that you're just because you're the person that everyone's taking photos of you're not better than everyone else there you know because i think i see that in other models sometimes um 
can suddenly get this massive ego and they think, wow, I'm like, I am the star of the show. But that's not how it is. You know, everyone there on set is to aim to the same. Everyone's there to try and get to the same like uh, end result. We're all a team at the end of the day, you know. And someone, I've always thought that someone might be, have a better look than you. But if you're not enjoyable to be on set with, then you're not, they're not going to want to be around you, especially if you've got to shoot a campaign and it's a three-day campaign and you're traveling. You're just stuck with the same group of people for three days. They want to be with someone that's enjoyable to be around, someone that has, yeah, that helps out as well on set, you know. I always, yeah, like even when it's down to the small things, like hanging up your own clothes or carrying some stuff for the crew and that, you know. Which maybe that's just my that, my personality, and that's what I would do it without even thinking. But them small things I notice when they go, oh, you really don't have to do that. I'm like, I'm I'm not gonna just walk here and like watch you guys struggle with all this other stuff, you know. Small little things like that, other people notice, and I think that's they're, they're the, little, the little extra bits you need to be doing to, yeah, make a difference, I guess. Yeah, and I think that translates across every and any business. You know, if you don't want to work with someone directly, you're not going to like them. And if you don't like them, then you don't want to rebook them. Yeah. And I think that's the same for, yeah, clients in the modeling industry, literally, mm -hmm. even corporate. Yeah, Although I think there's a bit of bullshit when it comes to corporate and putting on a false identity, et cetera. But whole nother topic. Um, yeah, it's vital. And it's those little subtle, like, social cues as well that you yeah. understand. And, yeah, you know, for you, carrying crew for, uh, kit for the crew might be a small little thing, but for them, it's probably unheard of, right? Because yeah. they've got this stereotype of what a model looks like what yeah. a mod and how a model acts. Yeah. And if you can challenge that and you're like, fuck that, I'm I'm not a model, I'm Luca. You yeah. know, like, it doesn't matter what role I am, I'm going to help you out. Yeah. I think that's so important. No, no, for sure. You've also got a different branch to, to your life at the moment, mm -hmm. which is music. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that it's something that's had a massive impact in your life. When did that, I guess, like thought about music become or extend from just listening to music sort of like casually to thinking actually, no, this is something that I want to do as a career, as a hobby, as a passion? Um, I think definitely from a very young age. I don't think there's an, a, a certain moment where I was like, it sparked. I think that I was always so inspired by music. I was always just like drawn to it more than anything. And... I loved it so much that it was like, wow, I want to be the one doing this, you know? I've always been very inspired by performers and on any song with, with a vocalist on, that's the main element that I'm listening to, you know? So I knew that that's, okay, that's, that's what I'm so inspired about, the way people can put words and articulate feelings and, and tell stories. I thought it was just amazing, you know? Um, and I probably wasn't until, uh, I think maybe I was really into performing from a much younger age than I really realized because you know, my mum was showing me some photos of me at Christmas a couple of years ago, and it's just photos, like old school VHS videos of me. She'd come around the corner in the living room and I've got like this fake guitar and fake mic and I'm just performing to myself, you know? No one else is in the room, but you know, from the ages of like five years old, I'm trying to be like a superstar, you know? So obviously I must've been really inspired from a really young age. Um, but I kind of, my, I've, it's always been something I wanted to do, but in a lot of ways from an early age, I kept it kind of secret, you know? I, I was, I would go and learn, I was doing singing lessons from a really young age and playing the guitar, but no one at school used to know that I used to do singing lessons. Like, I never thought it was the cool thing that people would think that I'm like singing, you know? Um, but then, yeah, so I kind of always was developing my musical skills in some way or another, you know? And then eventually we're at the point we're at now. So it's good, it's a good feeling. That's, that's crazy that you, 
hid it when you were a child. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I see relate to that. You don't want everyone knowing what your yeah, personal yeah, life yeah. is. I suppose when you go to all boys school as well, fucking like absolutely yeah, just taken bit, apart there. <laughs> bit savage, yeah, but yeah, understandable. Yeah, for sure. Okay, awesome. And in terms of then getting into that, that sort of side or that industry, what were the beginning steps like for that? Like, how did you first reach out to, to someone or first start making music yourself? Um, I think this is kind of the the thing that I've always uh, I've always thought about. Um, the, the journey, there's no sort of direct path and there's no right way. And I think I've always been searching for, okay, how the hell is, you know, a, a singer or an artist that I absolutely adore, how the hell do they get to where they are? But there just isn't no sort of, uh, brick road to follow you know what I mean um, I think the way that I always did it was like be consistent in it and, and always make it an element of my life so I was you know if I wasn't doing it in my extracurriculum time you know what I mean in like my personal life and it being more of a hobby I was doing it in education you know so I went on from joining secondary school and I was doing like singing lessons probably until like year eight I stopped doing them um, and then when music tech I was doing and then I was getting good the only time at parents evening I would get a good my the only my music teacher he would say oh Luke is really good he's got good potential and that's the only time that anyone ever gave me something positive to my family so and he my music teacher at school as much as I didn't really like him to be honest um he uh he did always say to me like I think you should carry on with this like there's that you got something there for sure so that's why I ended up going on to like study music technology for A-levels and then went on to university and, and study music. So I think I've always kept it as like a part of my life. And then all through that, I was kind of learning how to become a bedroom producer and different ways of, also the type of music I wanted to to, to release and make, like it's gone through a lot of changes. And I just sort of was trying to grab opportunities to perform or to, to sit in sessions with people or even just make music, you know? Like I was always quite inspired, like me and my friends at school in the area that I lived in, we all loved like, like we'd go to the park, like freestyle in the park every night after school and stuff like that, you know? So it's always been in every sort of department of my life, it's been a massive, like massive, massive thing. Mm, yeah, were there any specific individuals growing up that you like looked up to with regards to producing? Was there like a specific producer that you absolutely loved? You wanted to like replicate their style or like draw inspiration from? Um, I don't, I think I'd, I think I'd have to go back and say, I have to go back and say Childish Gambino because I remember listening to his first, first time I ever heard him on the radio, heard his song came up on radio really like really late one night. And I was like, wow, who is this guy? Because it was so different to what all the other music that I've been hearing. But what, it really, for me, is like it, sh it showed how individual he was and he saw, it was so unique, you know? Even just with his lyrical content about, it was very storytelling, but also had a lot of emotion in there. Yeah, I, I was so drawn to that, you know? And for me, it was like, okay, cool. You know, you can just be yourself and make music. And that was the secret that I needed to almost see in some way. So I think for him, he's always been like my biggest, like, um, inspiration, you know? He's, he's just never has sort of adhered to any trends or anything like that. He's always very much stayed in his lane and been the people that look, they, he's been the type of person that everyone else looks up to, you know? Like I'm a big fan of Pharrell Williams and I think he is of that same elk as well. Um, yeah, some really like amazing like producers, but yeah, definitely Pharrell and, and um, Charles Gambino just in their own lane and always will be, you know? So yeah, that were probably the people that would like inspire me the most. And when you 
first sort of began creating music mm. when did you then decide okay i'm gonna attach my own lyrics to this or was it was it always the case where you sort of like you'd rap over a song or were you a producer first and then sort of began to start thinking okay yeah i actually want to yeah make my own music in total it started like because when i was doing singing lessons and i was playing the guitar i was listening to like ed sheeran early ed sheeran that kind of like um that yeah the script they used to love the script back in the day um and like i was kind of listening to that type of music and i wanted to be like a guitar singing that and i was writing i was writing a lot of my own songs back then like to yeah it's so funny to, to think about that but i was like that was the kind of music i wanted to make and then sort of in my early early teens i started to really get into rap music my dad used to listen to a lot of like rap music growing up and he'd always have like kind the, all, the, all the latest Kanye West album in the in the car um and then i was like wow i really really, really i really like rap music so much you know and i wanted to okay and now i started developing that it started definitely with like rapping over beats and i'm and then it was kind of like okay I can rap over beats, but I want to start learning how to be the person making the beats, you know, and, and, how, and how, that, how that all goes together. Because I think when you can be in control of most of the creative process yourself, that is when the music becomes like, the, yeah, the, be the best reflection of yourself, you know? Mm, yeah, I do. And so when you produce, did you ever like send beats to other people, like start networking and et cetera? Or was it mainly just for you, like for your own creation, for your own songs, et cetera? I think, you, uh, yeah, it's always been... Yeah, it has always been really for my own, uh, my own self. Um, I'm, at the, I'm kind of more at the point now where I've gone through stages where I, yeah, I don't almost get inspired from other people's beats at all. I almost need to be, do that whole process myself to get so inspired, get inspired to be like, okay, cool, that that now I know what I want to write lyrically, you know. Um, but I, I think because I always wanted to be the performer, that producing was it was just sort of an element to where I needed to get with my own music, not something that I wanted to be known for, in a sense. I like I like that I can say that a lot of my songs are out and a lot of the stuff that is coming out is produced by me. And that's a nice thing to have because I think a lot of artists don't ha even have that in their locker. But um, yeah, I've always wanted to be the performer, you know? I want to be the, I want to be the artist. That's, the, that's my favorite part of it, you know? Yeah, and it sounds like that's something that you felt since early childhood. Yeah, for sure. You know, and the music side, the... But the music tech side must have a massive advantage in terms of knowing what that process looks like yeah. as a performer as well. Mm -hmm. um, must give you a, a much better sort of like musical ear than if you'd just gone straight to trying to freestyle over beats, etc. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's super interesting. And speaking of performing, you've done a few shows now. Mm -hmm. For that first show, going up there on stage, how did that feel? <laughs> yeah, nervous. Definitely nervous, but I am the type of person that I'll be very nervous in the situation, but I will put so much work into, I, as long as I put the prep work into it, I know that I can only do as best as I can do. And I think I was more, I was more excited to, to for my first proper show as Luchi Blue, when this was, I don't know, three, four years ago, when I first got my first booking, that was like, okay, cool. Like I'm ready for this, you know, I'm like, I was excited more than anything. And I was just excited to just show people the music that I've been making as well. Cause you don't get to be surrounded by so many people listen to your own songs in like that sort of setting. Cause I already, I knew the performing side of things. Like I feel quite natural and confident on the stage, you know, it is daunting at times, but I was like ready to go there, you know? Yeah. I, I can't imagine how, 
Yeah, nerve-wracking it could be going mm. up there, you know, having all those negative thoughts, etc. But yeah. do you think the key to overcoming that is that preparation side? It yeah. is just rehearsing, practicing, etc. Yeah, I de well, for me, definitely that's been always the best thing. And I've, I've, I look back on shows where or performances where I think I did, I wasn't happy with it, and that is purely down for, for my, and I, I blame that on my lack of preparation for it. You know, I look back at them and think I knew that I should have prepared that song a bit more. You know, and like missing lyrics there, you just like. It's annoying, you know, especially as a rapper, you don't want to be missing lyrics, you know, it's the most important element. So uh, I look back at them and I think to myself, yeah, I can see why that didn't go as well as it, as it should have gone, you know? Yeah. What for you, like, characterizes a good show? Like, what makes you think, yeah, okay, I fucking smashed that? Like a few things. I think it's not missing any lyrics, for sure. You know, forgetting the words is like the worst thing. It's quite obvious to see, especially if you go and see anyone perform, you're like, oh, he missed that part. Also, how you then deal with them, you know? Because missing it is, is one thing, but then if you can just sort of bounce back straight away and like it never happened, that's that's a sign of that you're all right and you can keep the show going. But I've definitely had one show before that I remember where I was just like, ah, just made it too obvious that I forgot the lyrics, you know? So that was a bit gutting feeling, but also just like the sound of it for the audience, from the audience perspective. Um, one thing that I noticed from my early shows was that I'm so excited that I'm screaming down this mic, you know, I'm like, yeah giving it way too much. So then when you watch the videos back from people in the audience, you're like, why am I screaming so much? Like the, the mic is there to make me sound loud anyway. I don't need to like overly stress my voice. And yeah, when you're like really, really stressing your vocals as well, you you know, you're not hitting certain notes, you know, you know what I mean? It's just, I, I noticed that they were the sort of like that I've taken on moving forward. I'm like, okay, I, don't, I can just chill. I've got, the mic is doing the work. I don't need to, I can take it at my own pace. I am in control of that moment, you know, and I love that feeling, you know? Yeah, there's something very intimate about doing a live show within, you know, like a mid-sized space as well. Um, something, maybe you can answer the, this question because I never understand why they do it. A lot of rappers who perform at big festivals and, you know, like I think I saw one at Coachella recently, but they just play the track in the background with the lyrics included and they yeah. just kind of like say four words and then they- They just dub like, over it, yeah. It is awful. Like, I don't understand like, where's the connection, you know? Like, mm -hmm. where is the performance? And I remember watching one of your shows and you know, yeah, like the people are right there. You can literally see their facial expressions and it must be an incredible feeling like afterwards to, yeah, have that sort of energy from an audience. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that's one thing that I always noticed when I was trying to like put together my first performance, I was like, okay, how, how, how does this go logistically? Like, like, cause I've been to see rappers perform or any artist perform and they're just like dubbing over their own songs. It's a bit lazy in my opinion, you know? Like people, especially like I've gone to see and you pay money to go see one of your favorite artists and they're just hardly even like saying anything on the mic. They're just like dancing to their own music. It's a bit like, come on. I expect more, you know, I've like been looking up to you at the moment, but this performance is kind of changing my opinion of you in some way. Um, Cause I think like the more raw you can be on that performance, the more emotion you can convey, you know, and especially with my music that is quite emotional and there's definitely always a story and behind behind everything. Um, I think now I'm at the point where I'm performing with my band and all the elements of the music are live in that moment. That's, you can't beat that. That has always been, that is the best feeling. And I feel like they are my favorite performances when that happens. And I think I can see there in the moment, the response and the reaction I'm getting from the audience and how much they feel, feel that the energy in the room, you know? So 
yeah, you can get, that's kind of the other end of the scale really when every element is live and the other, other end of the scale is just like you're rapping over your, your own songs. But you know, that's just how it is sometimes. And I guess maybe if you don't have preparation, you don't have time to prepare and have a band together because you need practice for all of that stuff, then maybe people are just kind of, if you've got a lot of shows and you're just dotting around all over the place, it's easier to just play the music and just dump, jump in when you need to, so. Yeah, definitely. I think live sets are really popular at the moment as well. It's mm -hmm. something that people want to see. Yeah, They want to understand the process behind the scenes, like how a, how a beat's built. I think yeah. particularly within electronic music as yeah. well. Um, you know, probably, I hate to name him, but Fred again yeah, has kind of set, yeah, set the scene there in terms of, you know, that creation. But I, I like the fact that it's getting more technical and more intimate in terms of you know the production behind it and you just you see the care and the attention I yeah think i think that's important. one thing fred why fred stun had such a big couple years now is because you know electronic music for ages has been quite similar of just like people like a dj pressing buttons on on the controller but fred again is really sh shown very well with his content and and how he does things of the live element to that you can do with electronic music um and i think that's why people even with his uh like DJ sets, you know, his boiler room is so like historic now, I think. But like the, even there when he's like programming live all the drums and the samples, like that's real talent, you know, it shows his like musicianship as well, I think. So that's, that's how he's leveled it up. And because he's done that, you can see how much success he's got out of the back of it, you know? Yeah, and I guess the, you know, the decision when you say, do I do a live set or do I just do a, you know, a regular performance? Mm -hmm. For you, I imagine it's, risk versus reward right yeah it's like there's there's way more that could go wrong with a live set for sure um you know you're relying on you know x amount of other people to be in time to do the right things and then you kind of have to almost like correlate and orchestrate yeah that performance so you know but, but you're i'm guessing you're putting the risk or that's the question is was it ultimately worth it with the live set do you think you got the reaction that you wanted yeah. from the audience 100 percent. like i would every show i would do it with my band if possible but the only reason I wouldn't do it is is if we don't have time to prepare. And I had a situation, um, had a situation in the beginning of this year. Was yeah, it was beginning of this year. I got booked for Hootenanny in Brixton, sick venue. Um, Cars really happy to be on a lineup for a night there. Um, and they told me about two and a half weeks before the show date that I was going to be performing. So I was like, okay, cool. But knowing that it's a big venue and I'd just come off the back of my first like headline show with the band like in December and this was like maybe January time this show was in Hootenanny and um, I was like okay cool I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it with my band reached out to my guys the, the my, my regular band members and I said hey this is the show date two of them couldn't do it so I was like okay all right all right my music director my my, my really close mate Andy um, he was like don't worry look we still put it together he, he's been in a lot of functions and function bands and he's played with a lot of artists over the years that so he's been a musician. So he was like, oh, I can easily get another drummer in. Don't worry, I can easily, we don't have to have the guitarist, we'll just play without a guitarist. So we do a more stripped back version. I was like, okay, cool. Fine, got a couple of days of rehearsals in and this new drummer's arrived from the day of rehearsal and the guy just did do his prep work and we spent the whole day, the whole day just like, trying to catch him up on it and he was just not it he just wasn't i needed my other guy back you know and i was it, i had to make that decision um a week before the show even though we had all done one rehearsal and we were planning to do a second as well i just called them off i said look guys 
I'm gonna do this one solo. As much as I like appreciate everyone like being there for the rehearsals and that, I don't feel confident, you know? And at the end of the day, I'm gonna have my worst performance if I'm not confident in, in everything that's going on behind me. Um, and like, yeah, you do have to like kind of make them executive decisions at times. And I'm glad that I did that because, you know, I went and just like rocked the mic by myself and had just like one, one of my boys DJing and behind. So it was, it was, it was good, but yeah, like you said, it's, there's a lot of risk, you know, and I didn't want to risk my performance going wrong purely because of someone else's lack of preparation, you know, even though my preparation has been really good and the rest of the band have been on it. But because this guy didn't do his his homework, you know, I had to call it off, you know, so I'm glad I did that. But they're the kind of decisions you have to make sometimes. Yeah, you rely on trust, right? Yeah, you're right. You trust that the other person's going to put the same amount of effort as you. Yeah. And it's it's sometimes a hard ask because it's it's you, right? It's your yeah. thing, it's your project. It's my and name on the, it's yeah. my name on the yeah, poster, yeah, yeah. you know? Exactly, exactly. Where did the name Lucci Blue come from? It's a good question. Um, had like a, so basically a little bit of more con a context to the name is before I was Lucci Blue, I was just going by Lucci as in music. I used to run Joran Bass events in London back in the day. Tears um, night, loads of people know about, but in when I went to university, my first year at university, I had like a, my uh, cousin's ex-partner. He used to be, he's from Southampton and he used to run a lot of drum and bass events, like a big successful drum and bass night back then. And he wanted to restart a, a night in London, but he wanted to bring me in because he knew I was doing music. Um, he wanted to bring me in to sort of like bring in, I guess, a younger crowd into the, into the night. And for me, it was like, okay, cool. Like, at the time, yeah, I like my, my drum and bass. This is like where everyone was like going. It's where you're properly going out raving for the flight, you know, and enjoying yourself. And like baseline was big at the time. And you, you know, everyone went through the Shout place. out K9. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my new leg and them, like, you know what I'm saying? Um, oh, no. It's funny. But I, I, I was like, okay, I looked at it like I was going to become a, a, just as much as a partner in the company as he would. It wouldn't be me just helping him out here and there. Like this was as much mine as it was his. So, and there was a couple of other guys that were in, in like, that started this night up. And I was like, okay, I'm looking at this as like a great opportunity to get experience with performing on, on set, uh, like performing on, on a night and also like understanding, okay, how logistically do you put an event together? Because these are things that I'm interested in doing myself. That was what I was looking at it from, from that period of time. So I was, I went as Lucci there because I would MC on all the nights, you know, over drum and bass. And I'm glad I did that, but... I knew that I'd very much like kind of solidified Lucci as as an MC and I didn't want to, that's not what I, the music I ever wanted to make, but like I said, it was for me to gain experience. So then when it came to, um, re, when it came to actually releasing music and I was ready for that time, I was like, I needed to add something. I wanted to keep Lucci because I really liked it. Lucci is like, um, it means son of light in Hebrew. You know, I have a, my, my stepman, she's Egyptian and she said it in passing one day many 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 years ago and i always thought like i remember being like oh what does that mean you know and she was like, oh it means this and i was like okay i'm gonna remember it. i really like that name i really like that name it just clicks with me so that's why lucci was the name and then when it came on to re like releasing my own music i was like okay i wanted to add one more syllable you know like i had like i'd listen to a lot of artists at the time like loyal kana you know like reggie snow there was always like something else like they needed one other word and i felt that blue was just the right right i like the idea of having uh, a color around my brand. I think that's a strong thing to do and people remember that a little bit more. People will remember, oh, you're that, oh, you're blue. Oh yeah, cool, I remember that. And also just like, blue's always been my favorite color. I've been, I'm a, been a 
a Chelsea fan since I was younger, so I've always boo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fair enough. I haven't got too much to say about that this year. Um, and also just like, I love nature as well. And, you know, blue is the sky, blue is the sea. Like, I think, yeah, it's just my favorite color. I've, I've always been drawn to it. So, yeah, I think it felt right. And I'm, I'm, it feels still right to this day, you know. Building a brand, how would you go about doing that in the music industry? Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Aren't we all? I, guess it, I guess this is what this is about though, isn't it? True that, true that, mate. Um, I think, I think it's it's finding, it's very, very difficult to do, but it's finding where you fit in within the industry, especially as because it's constantly evolving. And, you know, you might feel like, oh, okay, I fit this trend and I fit about here. I'm similar to this artist, but suddenly, you know, like two years later, everything's changed again, you know, and you, you know, you've got to re-evolve in some ways, you know, and I think that's the key is, is like understanding that, yeah, you have maybe some, I, some basis to your brand, but you have to allow room for the brand to develop and move, move with the times. Um, and to build a brand for me, the best way is just to be consistent is in, in, in everything, you know, consistent in the type of, content you're producing consistent in the type of message that you're putting across and can just consistent consistent in the quality of the music you're making or in any in you know this could be a fashion brand it's like okay you you know you want to make shoes you want to make sure that from day one the the quality of what you're making is is the, is the same as where you up to the present day yeah as you grow things are going to get bigger and better in in some ways but i think having like a clear message from what you want to do from the start and for me with my music it was like authenticity of how i felt and how my how i viewed the world and and the experiences that i've gone through and people that are around me have gone through i wanted to package that and make that into like a you know music and and, and give to the world you know so that's kind of how i've always been like and i'm very very like i've always like said that to myself it's like okay at the end of the day this is my way of like this is this is the audio format of like my soul you know like this is kind of how i uh wanted to, people to see across and I would never want someone to listen to my music ever and think, I know him in real life, that's not him. You know what I mean? He lies about this or lies about that. I, I would, I, I don't like that. And I think I listen to a lot of rap music, especially where come on, people don't, people are telling a story of lives they don't live. And okay, maybe that, that works for some people. And, and you know what, it really does. And, and sometimes like, why make it so serious in some ways, I guess I, I, someone could say. But for me, that's how much the music means to me. So I never want to like change that. And I guess that is part of the, my brand, yeah. Yeah, when you look into that, those core attributes of Luca mm -hmm. and then relate it to Luchi Brew and the end product. Yeah. What are those like core fundamental values that come through the music? Um, I think one is definitely empathy, self-awareness and confidence. And trust as well. I think they, 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 these are my core things that I always think of my life, you know. I have, I think, I've always been quite a self-aware person and an empathetic person. And my that has only been furthered since, since like my going through therapy and, and still seeing my therapist now. I feel like I'm like more self-aware than, than I've ever been, you know. But uh, yeah, and, and understand, and yeah, and then, with my music is like keeping to that is that authenticity, being very raw with what I'm saying and 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 the messages that I'm putting across, and yeah, just say, saying it how it is. Sometimes like I might code the message a little bit more, but like that's the that's the the, the art of it, you know. Um, 
But then at the same at the same time, I might I might be incredibly insecure in some uh, some ways as well. But you still have to put across that confidence. You know what I mean? People will, will want to look up to a confidence in a confident individual, and opportunities only come from like finding that confidence within yourself. You know. Um, so yeah, I'm feel I feel like I've kind of stuck to that, and I feel like my music does represent that in in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a really interesting point you mentioned about confidence because there's an old saying that you know to kind of be the person who you want to be but by saying that you're kind of saying you have to fake it until you make it you're trying to be essentially disingenuous but yeah it's a, it's a hard balance i think for people yeah. because yeah you want to put on this confident front so that then it almost will circle back and then go internally right but yeah confidence really ultimately comes from yourself yeah so it's a bit of like a chicken and egg situation 100%. it's like where does confidence come from yeah definitely it's an interesting one you say that, yeah, for sure. I feel like, um, <laughs> yeah, it's almost the, the fake it until you make it is like, there is definitely some like truth to it. And like success does come from that in some ways. Like you got to pretend that you are already a superstar and then people go like, oh, oh wow, this guy's a superstar. You know what I mean? You got to really, really believe that. And I know there's definitely some of my friends that are creatives and they already, they hold themselves to a high standard. And I'm like, fuck yeah, like you've got that inside you, you know, it's like, it's, it's important you've got to find that confidence because people are attracted to that and people are attracted to people that look like they got everything together even though maybe inside you don't sometimes you need to just like suck it up and like okay cool you know walk into a room of i've been in i've been in rooms of from incredible like people that i like look up to more than ever like i know say i go to a fashion event and there's like some of my favorite artists in the room you know but you got to act like you're bigger than them you know in that moment where, however that will be not in like a rude way or whatever but that's when you realize that they're the type of people that are like, oh, and then you're in a normal conversation with them instead of it like, yeah, I've, I felt like that's helped me in times where I've like seen my favorite artists and they've, they've been rubbing shoulders with them and been like, okay, I'm just gonna act like I'm supposed to be here, even though I'm thinking like, oh my God, I can't believe they're here. I really wanna say like, oh my God, I love your music so much and be like the biggest fanboy. But you act cool, you act confident, you act collected. And I think that then aids you moving forward and opportunities come off the back of it. I think you also act as you as well in that situation, yeah. you remain to your four fundamental values, right? Like mm -hmm. you remain empathetic, et cetera. You have that trust with other people within yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I think tricky situations come from when you have to try and put on too much of a front and try and be something that you're completely not yeah. um, in order to yeah fit into your environment, which, yeah, sometimes you have to do it, you know, if it's performance or yeah. something else, but ultimately it's a bit of a tricky road to, to go down. Um, it's interesting. I was actually talking to Hannah the other day, as you know, yeah. and something that we were talking about was the links sort of between creativity and therapy. Yeah. Do you find sort of songwriting, the sort of like producing lyrics, producing music, therapeutic? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And sometimes like when I feel like things are not going in the way that I wanted to get, I say I'm not getting enough views, streams, I'm not getting to, I'm not at the level I want to be. I have to remind myself that at the end of the day, like this, this is for me more than any, anyone, you know, it is. And it's like almost like my diet, it's almost like a diary, you know, like it really is for me. And to be honest, it's, it's such an output and it always has been like that. Like when I go through and have been through many tricky situations and I, and, and, and struggles with my own mental health, getting locked into the, in, into some music or, or even just like writing about it within lyrics and within a song 
it feels like it's like a lot of weight off my chest massively and um i've noticed that more than ever and and, and i that's i think is one of the one of the biggest drives for me that will, will keep me going and, and it's almost like a it's a must for me you know i feel like i notice myself go maybe go off the rails in some sense or if i'm not being consistent with writing music you know and even if i'm in a good place it's still really good to write about that and 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 be great grateful and the gratitude for being in a good place you know because you can then look back at oh my god them few years where they were really really tough and also look back at the music because it's like i remember writing about that sort of stuff and like i was writing i was in some dark places and wrote about it and released it as well which is super vulnerable to do because i think that's also the other thing as well it's like i'm like because of my music is like that the, the being vulnerable you're so vulnerable you're literally letting the whole world into like your deepest darkest emotions and that is scary but for me it's necessary for me to like overcome them emotions and overcome them like dark periods of life you know what was happening at that time that was difficult in your life i think a pinnacle of like um pinnacle of like my mental health like of it going really badly was just over the period of 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 covid them two years was them two years were really tough really really tough i've always very much struggled with my mental health since i was young had extremely bad anxiety as a kid like extremely bad i'm talking like would not be able to be in a in a room by myself for two minutes without freaking out and like it used to be really bad and going from that to then overcoming that somehow I, I almost can't even believe that that was me back in the day because I literally was terrified of everything. Then I would suddenly was going to secondary school that was two hours away from my house and I was traveling there by myself, not knowing anyone. And that was overcome. I overcame that. And then that was really, that was okay. But I was still then dealing with like being depressed and feeling like, yeah, just feeling just really not myself. And then during COVID, that was just definitely the worst time I I had come back from Australia. I was in Australia working at the time, COVID hit. And then I was basically had to get back home as quick as I can. And I'm glad I did because I went back home. My parents had just got divorced probably about two, a year and a half before that. So I was moving, I moved back in with my mum, and she had just moved into a new house. She has just moved into a new house that she had just started all the work on. So I'm talking, she had like not, she had nothing in this house. And now like both me and my younger brother were moving back in. My plan was only to be there for a month or two before I was gonna get a renting up in London. I thought COVID was gonna be that like, over and done with. Then I was there for like a year and a year and a half, maybe a bit longer. And I was just like, you know, you're the, I was completely, everything was taken away from me, had no work. I was not modeling. I wasn't able to like see my friends. Everything was taken away with me from me. I was, my mum got really, really ill in that time. and. I suddenly became like a full-time carer for her, had no like output. I wasn't being able to do it. I was like smoking so much weed. I was just like in a really bad way and got to, they got to this one particular day where I almost ended it all. And that was when I was like, fuck, wow. Like almost life just hit me. And I was like, what the, how the hell am I here now? You know, like two, you know, less than a year ago, I was in Australia living life, thinking that my life was the best it could be. And now I'm like, the, at the lowest point I've ever been. And that's when I was like, okay, I needed to really like get into deep, delve into with the reasons that get, get that it got me here. And that's when I actually met my therapist that I am with at the moment. And 
she definitely really, really helped me sort of get through that period of time. Um, and yeah, very incredibly grateful for her, you know, and she she knows that she's just been, was was really tough. And I was seeing her like three times a week. Like it was like, I, I needed to see her, you know, otherwise I don't think I would have been like, got through that period of time, you know, and, and it, was, it was tough and life throws, throws you with them sort of cards at times. And, you know, it's good to like, Feel like I'm past that, and my mum's healthy now, and she's 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 better, and yeah, it's good. But it was tough, man. Fucking tough. Were there any signs looking back at it now where you think, you know, I guess depression, anxiety, particularly depression, is a slippery slope down, mm. and yeah, ultimately it's not until you get to the bottom until you really find out, you know, what you're made of, right? And I often think are there signs that you can tell that things are just getting worse and worse and worse? And is there any way that you can kind of like kickstart that trajectory back up looking back? I think I'm, I'm looking on my own experiences here and I could tell there were certain things that I started doing when I was getting lower and lower and lower, uh, patterns of behavior, yeah. I, you know, like not exercising as much, like not having sort of like play in my life. I, you know, like playing sport or doing fun stuff, yeah. not wanting to socialize with people, et cetera. Yeah. And I guess like only through being that in that experience and being low, I've then been able to look back and be like, okay, well I can maybe not stop the, the trajectory going down, but I can at least slow it. Yeah. And I can start doing things that will then help me kick that back out. I mean, obviously therapy is super important for you, but was there anything else that you kind of like started to do from that point that, yeah, I guess it gives you a bit of hindsight, really. Yeah, I think, what are you talking more things that I had noticed? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think for, yeah, for sure, you start getting into patterns and, and, and I started realizing that my coping mechanisms, which probably had been something that I've been using for a lot, a long period of time, um, weren't working for me, you know? And I was just, yeah, I was smoking a lot and that was really like, especially when you're down, that was just like the worst thing for me. And that was just kind of like, the more I felt low, the more I'd smoke and the more I'd just get myself into this sort of, and then I just, yeah, became like, I'm a person, I'm a very sociable person. I love being around people. I need to be around people. But then I wasn't able to do that pure, one, one because we were in COVID and that was just like, you know, I was taken away from my friends. But even the friends that were local to me and I was seeing them, I was just like, yeah, not wanting to be around them, not having things to say and, and just also becoming quite an aggressive person, like quite an angry person, not aggressive, but angry. Not to other people, just just angry at, the, at life and and everything. And I I I can looking back at it, I was de I I should have noticed them signs a bit earlier. But when you're didn't really have any time to think about it, you know what I mean? I was so I had to had to be a full time carer I had to look after my mum. I had to go work. I had to go and get another job. I had to do so much, you know what I mean? Also at this period of time, I'm worried that I don't know if I'm, my mum's gonna get through this operation and then, and I'll see her again. So that's a lot of fucking things to fit, think about. Got a younger brother, I'm looking after him. Yeah, it's just, a, I felt like I had a lot of responsibility on my shoulders and didn't really get the time to be self-reflecting. Uh, I didn't have the time to self-reflect, which then led to the point that where I was just like, yeah, really hit the, the, the lowest point I could. And then, yeah, then that was what I needed annoyingly to just yeah be like Fuck, okay wow all right here we are Let, let's i'm clearly like not at a good point and i need to get someone else's advice i need to go and see someone you know and talk about it because before that my mum had been saying it for me for ages she was like go and see a therapist go and do this and i was just a bit like oh like 
nah, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Even though I had seen them when I was a lot younger with dealing with my anxiety. I didn't really enjoy that back then. But I think when you're young and you're a bit naive and you, you, you know, you're forced to go and see this random person like every so often and, and talk about things that you're just like, I, I don't even, I can't even think, figure them out in my head, let alone do I want to start talking to a randomer about it. But it's interesting now, and you, you've been for therapy, yeah, yourself. It's okay, uh, it's crazy to have the, the feeling of like offloading stuff to a stranger. Oh, it's liberating, isn't it? It's just like, and I needed it. I really needed it. And I'm still grateful and that, that I have, I'm, I'm, maybe in some ways in hindsight now, I can look back as horrible as them situations was. I think maybe I can look back now and think, wow, I'm glad that I have, in a sense, been forced to deal with them problems and deal with some trauma, like a lot of trauma from the past and become self-aware that I'm a 24-year-old now and I can I can see the world in a whole different way. And that's been very good and, and that's been very good for me and has helped me in, in all departments of my life now, you know? Yeah, I, I describe therapy sometimes as like climbing up a mountain and it's such a classic cliche, but you'll understand in a minute because the reason why you don't want to do it at the beginning is because you're looking at this fucking 11,000 foot mountain in front of you and you're like, well, I don't want to go up that, right? Yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. fucking way. There's, you know, like cliffs, there's icy bits, you know, have to put your crampons on and start yeah. like picking away. And, you know, the whole way you're just a bit like, oh, and sometimes you feel amazing after therapy. You have this, you know, like sense of weightlessness, you know? Yeah. Because what you were describing, you know, with your mum being ill, looking after your brother, having to get a job, it's weight on your shoulders is pushing you down and down and down, right? Yeah. And the only way to, to offload that, yeah, is maybe through something creative like music, et cetera, yeah. journaling, but absolutely, I think therapy is vital. Yeah. But you're going up this mountain and you know, you occasionally might have a look back and you're like, oh, view's pretty cool right now. You're, you're looking over your shoulder, you're like, oh, cool, I'm you know, a thousand foot up and I can see the top of a tree canopy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you go another 3000 feet up and you look back and you're like, oh, now I can see the other mountain over the hill. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like those looks back, look backs are great because it feels like you're progressing. There's a sense of awareness. And then you get to a point where you kind of stop and then you take a proper look back and you sit down, you look at the view and you're like, fuck, I'm very high. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like this is stressful. Like there's a lot here to take in. And yeah. that awareness is vital. It's yeah. so important because to know why you function, what your cogs look like internally mm -hmm. allows you to better see like and react to things in front of you yeah. then and there. Totally, man. You know, we're all built by our own environment growing up. And I often think that we're kind of like this 15 year old self you know, enacting in our 26 or 24 year old mm. body in your case. And yeah, I, I think without that awareness of, of who you are and how you're built, you know, how do you actually know what your identity is? And yeah, sometimes just being told, you know, it's not your fault. Yeah, is enough, you know, 100%. We, you know, we're, we're, we live in a world now, it's one thing my therapist always says to me, we live in a world now that's just our brains are not supposed to be in this world with so much stuff going on, so much distractions. We're just so, we're like still have our animalistic instincts of fight or flight. And that's the reason why anxiety is where it is now. You know, it's just a weird kind of response from the body for situations where you neither can run yeah, or fight it. You know what I mean? So it's kind of this middle ground. And I, I yeah, I noticed that a lot more. And yeah, I, I, I also see it in like the older generation, you know, 
our parents and 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 even grandparents you know where i'm like you you're you don't realize that you're the way you are because of this but now i can see i can look back and go i can see in my in my in my father's life and and see how he's the way he is because of certain situations that have happened in his past that i didn't actually know about but you know like you find out and you're like oh i can see that because in my own life i can see how certain situations have made have you know shaped me to become the individual i am or respond in a certain way like you were saying um and then you can also see it in others which is it's allowed me to be i guess empathetic in in a way of uh whereas maybe i would react quite annoyed or frustrated at situations but now i'm taking a second to think okay why are they reacting in a certain way and what and what has led them to be feeling how they're feeling you know is there something more going on that i can't see currently and it isn't visible to the eye so yeah it's good it's very important man and i think it will be the one of the best skills that we both have moving forward in our life you know couldn't agree more i i actually think it extends to not just the relationship with yourself but your relationship to other people as well yeah um you're right it gives you like a different lens of how you see people and see interactions um in terms of you know if someone's always late for something right or they've got a behavioral characteristic that you struggle with mm -hmm. and that you know like triggers you there's kind of two elements there it's like okay well why am i being triggered by that what yeah. is it within me or what has my past sort of done to me that's meant that i'm getting annoyed by this when it shouldn't really be a big yeah. deal that's that's the connection you to you yeah and then the you to the other person is oh well why are they doing that why are they always late maybe they um you know like okay yes on the surface of it never leave enough time mm -hmm. but also they're massively overwhelmed and they're stressed and they've had you know like pressured parents so they always feel like they have to do you see what i mean yeah it's yeah, like it kind of just like encourages you to just think a little bit deeper yeah um because you have to do it about yourself when you're in yeah. therapy yeah for sure it's super interesting and, and super valuable. You know, when you're in therapy, you build tools. What's been a tool that you've managed to, to develop within that time? I think understanding that I am good enough in, which sounds silly I'd say, but that's kind of like the biggest, that's for me, that's my issue is that I've always, when I get really down, it's kind of my subconscious telling me that I'm not good enough for whatever situation, not good enough to be with someone, not good enough for an opportunity, not worthy enough to be, yeah, like look like look good or, you know, feel insecure about certain things. And I think understanding that that is my trigger, you know, it's it's kind of, it's so, it's, sometimes you need someone to just say it's so black and white for, for you. And, 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 and that is what has been helped me, you know, I'm like so much more like, I. I see things and I'm like, I understand why I'm reacting and I feel myself getting, having a bad day. But at the beginning of the day, I can feel the minute that energy coming out. It doesn't surprise me anymore, you know? Um, also just, uh, she's she's helped me, my, my therapist now has helped me got through a few, a lot of situations with family and um, just like tools of just like how I would go about talking to people and bringing up like, I know, um, having conversations that are like uncomfortable to have, you know, especially when it's in terms of family. And I felt that, you know, we did this process where I would this um, write out a speech, like a letter of how everything I wanted to say to an individual. Um, and I wrote it, brought it into her. We spoke about it, very emotional. We both were quite emotional in this in the session. And she was like, you can see your point of, you can see, where, where your point of view is in that and I was very like blaming I was like using so many certain like what like words that 
were quite almost aggressive and putting the blame on them when really actually the best way to approach them situations is not to say any blame at all and it's to go okay this situation that you this the way that you acted here with this situation has made me feel like this you know and bring it back on yourself and talk about how you, how it's affected you inside and not and never use any words to, to blame and i think i've done that now i take even though that helped me get through a certain in situation and and better and better the relationship with someone close to my life i i use that in everything you know moving forward when someone's really when someone has really, I don't know, frustrated me with a situation that's there's going on in their life, even with friends and, and stuff that's going on, I'm like, before maybe I would go like, like you're doing this, you're doing that, but change that vocabulary and just use and, and change the, your, your wording of it and, and say, hey, that situation that you did there, it's kind of made me feel a bit like this and leave it open-ended. That often then kind of, they, they, can, they self-reflect for themselves in that moment. And you kind of reached where you, what you want out of that situation quicker at, without there being any sort of tension and yeah, any sort of like argument, you know, because certain vocabulary always sparks like, oh, like blaming their people get a bit kind of, you know, you know, protective of themselves in a way, you know? So. Yeah, it's an amazing tool to have in mm. life because all you do when you blame is you point and you're saying, yeah, you did this, you did. But if you relate it back to you yeah. constantly and say, it made me feel like this, it's not, it's allowing your feelings to be justified without having to pinpoint the reason, particularly why, yeah. you know, and then the person can be curious and explore. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually a, a dynamic that couples get involved in quite yeah. a lot. Um, you know, when you, oh, why didn't you, you know, turn the oven off? Oh, you should have done this. I told you this. I do. Mm. And you're not, it's not about the oven. It's about, are you a responsible person? Yeah. Can I trust you with the home? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's always a level deeper. So you know how you turn the oven off? Yeah. It really frustrated me because it's brought up this feeling of uncertainty. Yeah. Why did it bring it? The first question is the first response is a question, not an accusation or a yeah. statement. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. that's so important. Like Sue Johnson, who's a, a couple therapist, calls it like dancing. So you need to like dance with your partner. And it's like, instead of, yeah, the pointing and the interaction, it's like, they take one step forward, you need to take one step forward, then you take one step back. And then you sort of remain, you create this like harmony between you yeah. whilst remaining, maintaining space, but yeah, kind of like dancing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of just fucking punching <laughs> each other yeah, in yeah, the yeah. face. Kicking it off, no, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. one insult after one insult. But, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, therapy is magical, mate, mm. I think there's only one way really to truly uncover like who you are and that's through some self-reflection but also yeah you need help you need to be guided you need people to ask you the right questions yeah. you need that mirror to be put up in front of you you know and um takes courage also man yeah for sure man and i i one thing i've seeing the benefits that it's done for me one thing i always say as well to people that are you know going through bad times or whatever it's like okay Go and see a therapist. You're going to, regardless, you might even be the happiest person in the world. I'd still say go see a therapist, you know? I, I, I'm in a good point. I'm in a good, like, situation right now. Like, I feel good. I'm not feeling too depressed. I've not, I haven't been feeling too much anxiety at the moment. I'm in a good period of time. But I'm still seeing my therapist on occasion. But still, we're, we're you know, they're still having good, we're having good talks and we're talking about situations, like, even things that you're, you feel like haven't affected you in any way. It's good to talk about them. And I think it's it's something that, so much benefit that it shouldn't be overlooked you know people are so people might even think it's like a financial situation that they don't want to spend the money on but 
is is the best money you'll ever spend and i i've tried to get a lot of my friends to, to get on it you know because the benefits they'll see and how they'll find out about themselves is yeah it's yeah forever the best skill you could have yeah i i think the problem is therapy is associated with negativity yeah people think something bad has happened in your life go and see a therapist i mean uh, to be honest i'm guilty of that myself I was always into coaching and I, I had a life coach for a year and a half before I ultimately went to therapy. But something very major had to happen in my life before I went, I know this could fuck me up, so I need to go and see a therapist. But having done it now, I'm thinking, why on earth didn't I do this earlier? Mm -hmm. It would have saved me a hell of a lot of pain. Yeah, for uh, sure. You know, and, and hindsight's a great thing. Maybe I needed to experience that pain in order to be in the situation that I'm in now, you know, having developed the skills, et cetera, that you have, et cetera. But yeah, sometimes it's a it's a hard pill to swallow to say, I need help. Yeah, for sure, for sure. A lot of people might have a big like ego, macho ego, and it's like, come on, man, just go and unravel it a little bit because, you know, it makes you into a bigger, stronger person. I think at the you come out the other end of it better, you know? Just like, yeah, being able to take on things and and like you said, like, the way you then react to everything that happens in the world. And so yeah, it's good. So Luca, what is next for both Lucci Blue and the modeling career? Um, I feel like a lot of, still on a bit of a marathon, you know, it's, a, it's, it's always gonna be a long, it's a long journey. Um, in terms of modeling, I'm currently trying to get my US visa sorted. Um, I really, really, I'm excited to get over to America to work. More so because, uh, New York is just where the big jobs are at, you know? It's where the big jobs are, it's where the big money is as well. And I feel like it's kind of that city that if you can go over and do well, you get a real big name for yourself as well. Um, and I, I, like I said, I've been doing this 10 years of modeling and I'm at that point, I'm ready for this. You know, I'm hungry to get over there. I know how to, I know how to be on set. I know what's required of me and the experience is there. So yeah. Super excited for that. Um, and also as part of that, once I get my visa approved, I can also go over to LA as well because I think to go and go over there and like work with some artists and push my music. Cause yeah, that's kind of the good thing about, I felt that since I've been doing both things, since I've been a musician publicly and been releasing music now for like four years um, and being a model, it's kind of been working really well together, you know, and I'm seeing a big, yeah, I'm seeing, I'm getting more opportunities, better opportunities that are kind of more fitted to me as a, as the person who I want to be. Um, so yeah, just going to be smashing that out. This US visa thing takes a lot of time and it's very, very annoying and quite costly as well, but we'll get, we're getting there slowly but surely. Um, uh, hopefully I can go out by the end of the year and then music wise, it's yeah, lots of good stuff is coming. I feel like I've had this kind of it's hard. I've been going through ups and downs of being consistent. But one thing I will always say to everyone who's a music, uh, if you want to be successful, you've got to be consistent. And I've also got to take that on as well because I've, I had to do a bit of like self-reflection, see what was working, see what isn't working. And I think I was putting a lot, I've been putting a lot of energy into my live element of me with the band, which has been really good. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I've been doing that. So now I've been growing that. I think it's time for me to get some more music out. And I've been in the studio working with some really, really cool artists and, I've kind of, this time around, I've, I've focused on the production. I've get, I want to get a lot, a few tracks done and then package them well and make sure they're packaged and they fit to my brand. They look professional and the quality's there. 
So then once it comes out consistently, then hopefully I can get everything snowballing again, you know? Because like just dropping the odd track here and then it's, yeah, you might have a, a, a short time success from the song, but it's not going to go anywhere, especially in the world that we live in with everything. Just people's attention span is, Definitely. yeah, so short. So, Is there any idea of a release date for any new music? Um, I am planning on, there should be a song out end of June. There should be. Yeah, I I heard it here I, first. Yeah, hear it here first. It should be. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be. It's gonna be good. It's uh, it's a song that I've been working with uh, with a couple of uh, with my music director Andy Goldbar and uh, another guy Luca Gleeser who he played at my last two shows. We have like a good little trio thing going on. And our productions are yeah, our productions are just we're making really fun music. You know, we're doing. I've been reading a, a Rick Rubin's book. Um, it's like my Bible at the moment, man. I'm telling you that that guy is just honestly like a true inspiration. I wish I'd read the book a lot earlier and like, but I've been doing a lot of research into him and just like his accolades and the way he goes about with his creative creativity. You know, he is just amazing in the sense of that. He just kind of talks about how, you know, that creativity is like a universe, it's like a universal flow. It's an energy that no one can have but you can tap into, you know? And you need to, 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 to do that. You need to just be open to being creative, you know? And be consistent with being open, you know? So it's better to go into the studio and, and just make a beat for 10 minutes than not do it, you know? And also to not trying to adhere to any rules, you know? Or where I feel like it's quite easy to produce in a certain style, always start with the same element, you know? You might always start with drums, you might always, but actually just, Go and do whatever and every time you start, make it a point to do something that you never usually do. And often when you follow that path, that's when you'll make the best song. And that's what we've been doing in this trio. We've been making music that not, doesn't really fit to any of our genres, but it's very good music, you know? And like also just making it not to have any sort of like really deep emotion to it, but more just to have like a really good time. And like, it brings that feeling of like fun and like, where we were in the 2000s, you know, like I'm trying to bring back that kind of feeling, you know? Music used to be fun, now it's just kind of all for the wrong reasons in some sense. Mm. It's almost like bringing back like youthful energy, you know? Yeah, When yeah. you're a kid, I like, I don't remember ever getting tired. No. But just like you want to bring that like, yeah, yeah, yeah direct yeah. correlation between creativity and what you eventually yeah. land on. Yeah, 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 for sure. Luca, thank you so much for the conversation. I think specifically the, the comments that you made around your struggles within COVID, and you know the feelings that you had are really going to resonate with a lot of people it's a very difficult time for for all we're kind of shifted in in one way to another and i think everyone did well just to get through it how they did if i'm honest mate so thank you so much for sharing it's super important i wish you the best of luck with both the music and the modeling and hopefully the visa gets sorted out sooner yeah, or later yeah, we'll be over there yeah for sure it's gonna happen it's gonna happen manifest in it take care bro all right man thank you so much cheers Thank you.